0: very important there's a lot more going on in a beginning with god than just a start and we need to see that when god starts something he has a plan and a purpose and we need to find that and so if you stick with me tonight if you can catch everything and i'll even give you my notes when i leave you're going to understand the entire bible if you will stick with me tonight i'm gonna give you the entire basically the story of scripture you're still gonna have to read your bible though Okay? I'm giving you the big picture tonight. You gotta put the puzzle pieces together. How many people have put puzzles together? What do you do? You rip them open, you dump them out. First step is to flip them all over, get them off the cardboard side. Right? And then you can start looking. Here's some reds, I need to put the reds together. Here's some blues. But what is the one thing, at least this is me, what's the one thing I have to have before I can finish that? I gotta have the picture. Before I can even start, I gotta have the picture. I don't know what I'm doing if I don't have the picture, right? So you might need to count, make sure you have all the pieces. I need the picture. I need to see that picture so I can know when I start putting these things together, here's what it's supposed to look like. So I'm giving you guys the picture tonight. You got to put the puzzle pieces together, okay? Can you, can you work with that? Can you give me your attention for 55 minutes? Ooh! I heard that. <laughs> If you give me a lot of attention, uh, it might be 45, how about that? If you really act like you're excited, I might just blow through it. Yeah, there we go. So, I'm giving you the big picture, and we're looking at the garden, and I didn't give this to Dwayne, but I wish I would have, but if you if you got something to write on, write this down, because this is my train of thought, right here. This, if I were going to give it a title, this is not necessarily a sermon, but I just like titles that help me. From fig leaves to faith. Okay, I'm going to say it again. From fig leaves to faith. If I'm getting real fancy and I'm writing a book title, I'm going to put a little semicolon or something, somebody that knows the right thing to put. Subtitle, the gospel in the garden. That's what we're doing tonight. From fig leaves to faith, the gospel in the garden. And so that's what we're going look like, to look at tonight as we look. So Genesis, we talked about it last week. What does Genesis mean? Beginning, right? The beginning. And so, here's a principle I want you to see, and this is what we're going to look at as we kind of go through these two chapters. What God begins, God intends. I'm going to say it again. I'll repeat myself a lot tonight. What God begins, God intends. And so what does it mean to begin something? It means to create. It means to start. To form it. To shape it. To give it life. Well, what does it mean to intend? It means to have a purpose, to have a plan, have a destination. And so God, when he creates, he always creates with intention. It's not haphazardly. He doesn't do it without a plan or a purpose. And God does not give up on his plans. So when God begins, when God starts something, he already has a purpose. He already has a plan. He already has a destination for that. And he does not give up on his plans. And the plans of God, as the Bible says, what? Cannot be thwarted. Cannot be stopped. Okay? This is a good thing. Think about salvation. What does Paul say? Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing. Paul says, I'm confident in this. I'm confident in this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When God starts something, He will finish it. Amen? There's that faithfulness. If God starts something, God's going to finish it. Period, end of story. He's going to do it. So if you've got your Bible, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 7. So last week, just a real quick overview. Last week we looked at 1 and we looked a little bit at 2 and we talked about tending the garden. So God created man and He placed him in the garden and He told him to tend the garden. We'll look at that just a little bit more. And we talked about... God has placed you in a garden to tend that garden, right? To offer to God worship, to offer to God everything that you do, regardless of what you do for work, regardless of, of what your occupation may be, everything you do in life is meant to be worship to God, right? Do all that you do to the glory of God. And so we get to Genesis 2, 7 through 10. I'm going to read through these just a little bit, and then I'm going to break some things down. And so you're going to have to trek with me. If you have your Bible, uh, read along with me, and I promise you, I'll have some of the prophetic stuff at the end, but I've got to lay a lot of foundation, okay? Okay, I'm still checking. Do you have your attention, 55 or 45, Dwayne? 55 or 45? He's out, okay. He's looking for 27. Okay, I said Genesis 2, 7. He said 27, 27 minutes, yeah. I can do that. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, start at verse 7. And the Lord God formed the man of dust, or the man of the dust of the ground... And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. We're going to stop. I want you to see some things. What do you see in these verses? So if God is beginning something, what we see in these verses is important. And so what do we see in these verses? Well, first you see God, right? Kind of state the obvious. We see God, but we see man, right? God creates man. What else do you see? What about the trees? I think it's important. Because when we're reading these chapters and the way I'm trying to teach you guys on Genesis, I'm not going so much on the historical route. I'm not going on the apologetics. I'm more looking through that spiritual lens. I'm trying to see what does this tell me about God? What does the creation account tell me about the Creator? We can talk about days. We can talk about years. We can talk about those things. But let's just read this and see what does this tell me about God? And then what does this tell me about me? How I'm supposed to respond to Him? So you see these trees, and I think it's important. It says these trees were pleasant. Pleasant for sight and pleasant for food. That tells you something about the nature and character of God. What he created was good. It was good for sight. It was good for food. He had care and intention in his mind when he created. What else do you see? There's two particular trees. What are they? You see choice. We haven't made it there yet, but we will. Tree of life. What's the other tree? Okay. Knowledge of good and evil. One more thing. Verse 10, what do you see? A river. Okay, I promise you, remember those things. We're going to have a wraparound effect by the time this is all done, right? So you see God, you see man, you see these trees, pleasant for food, pleasant for sight, tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and a river that is flowing out, right? Okay, let's jump down. I'm going to skip a little bit because there's some difficult words to read in there. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Jump down to 15. Like Pastor Brown said, you get up here and write it. That's why I don't put the board behind me. I'm not that confident yet. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, okay? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall what? Surely die. Surely die. So let's look at these verses. We're going to do this. We're going to read little chunks of scripture and look at it because we're looking. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? Okay, so here you have Adam put in the garden, and he's told, tend it, right? That's what we talked about last week. That word tend can also be translated worship or serve. He is meant to cultivate this garden. God has created it. God has given it life. All Adam is responsible to do is tend it. It's not Adam's responsibility to give it life, okay? He's supposed to tend it, right? Make sure you know who's the one that gives life and who's the one that's are supposed to cultivate. But God gave a commandment. I could even say that he gave two, if I'm being honest. Most people just see the one, though. What does God command Adam? To tend his garden? But what does he say? He says, Of every tree you may eat freely, except one. So I really want to point this out to you, okay? Most people think of God as a cosmic killjoy. That really gets under my skin. What does this tell you about God? You can eat of every single tree that's out there. And what did we already talk about the trees? What are they? They're pleasant for sight. They're good for food. But of one, you can't. So it's the opposite. God says there's so much out here. There's so much abundance for you to partake of. Partake of all of it but one. And this one is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God says, do this, and it is above, and it is abundant. And he says there's one thing you can't do. God is not a cosmic killjoy. I don't know why when a lot of people become Christians, they forget how to smile. And we go back to thinking, man, all the things I used to do, I used to have fun. Your flesh had a lot of fun, but your spirit was dead inside. But the commandments of God give life. So everything that he said to do, it is a commandment for you to do things. all right, And it's a commandment for you to not do things. But any commandment that God gives brings life, and we need to see that. 1 John 5, 3, he says the commandments of God are not burdensome. Think about that. I think it's the word commandment that kind of trips us up a little bit. We don't like that word. But we need to see that. Any commandment that God gives is not burdensome. It will give you life. But if you disobey, what happens? What did he say? Don't eat of that tree, because when you do, You will surely die. You follow the commandments of God, guess what? You get life. You disobey, you sin, what do you get? Death. The wages of sin is death. You can follow the commandments of God, and life, the life of God, is pumped in and through you by the Holy Spirit. You can disobey, you can live a life of sin. It will pay you too. Let me change that. God will give you the life of God freely, by grace. Sin will pay you your wages. This is what you get, death. That plays out in a multitude of ways, physically, spiritually, relationally, all these things. So we see this. I just want you guys to see these things. Disobedience or rebellion is what sin is. At its core, sin is rebellion against God. It's not just, oh, I did something bad. We've got to get deeper than that. It is disobedience and rebellion against God. That's what it is at its core. And it equals death. Separation from God, the giver of life and the sustainer of life. God doesn't just give life, He sustains it. He's the one who created and gave life, He's the one who sustains life. To sin and rebel against Him is to reject the one that gives and sustains life. You live a life of sin, you're rejecting the one who gives you life. You live a life of faith. Following the commandments of God, that's the life of God in you and through you, okay? I'm going to check you guys tonight. It's a nasty day, but it's good in here, right? It's cold, it's rainy, but it's dry in here. Praise God. All right, Genesis two 18. We're going to move right along. You guys are good. Genesis two eighteen, And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. One verse. I just want you to look at this. Everything that God created, he said what? It's good. It's good. It's good. He even says on one, it's very good. First time that God says something's not good, what is it? For the man to be alone. Loneliness. God sees something that's not good before Adam even recognizes it. Think about that. Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Adam, at this point, I don't even think he quite understands. Of course, he's in the presence of God. So in one sense, he's not alone. But God knows there's something missing. And God spots that before Adam ever says anything about it, before he even recognizes it. God will begin to work in situations in our lives before we even know they're there. Praise God for that. We sing that song, right? Even when I don't see it, you're working. See that all the way in the garden. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And so God begins to work. And Psalm 68 says this, God sets or settles the solitary in families. It is not God's intention that any person should be alone. I realize there are widows, widowers, right? And that's why the church is extremely important. When someone comes in this building someone comes into our church family, many times God has directed their steps not so they would just get to meet people, but that they would get set into a family. Amen? This is what God does. It's not good for people to be alone. It's not good for loneliness, and God begins to combat that. Now, we see how he does it with this, but I want to make sure I put that point out there. If we're talking about the character, if we're talking about the nature of God, God will set or settle the lonely in families. And sometimes it's a settling process. It's not just a, right in and everything's good. Sometimes it takes some time to settle in. But if you are one of those people that find yourself lonely and God has brought you to this house, trust that he's going to settle you in this house. If you're not one of those people, begin to look and see, God, who are you leading me to? Who are some people that I need to show myself friendly to? Amen? Okay. Genesis 2.20. God sees the loneliness of Adam And here's the story. He he begins to bring all the animals before him, right? And Adam begins to name them. This is part of that having dominion. So God lets Adam name the animals. But what does it say? It says that he doesn't find any helper comparable to him, right? Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So here's the thing. God saw what was not good. He began to go ahead and work, but... He made Adam aware of it, too. Okay, so God doesn't just turn you into a robot or doesn't just begin to fix things. He may begin to move and do things, but he will then make you aware of the situation as well. So Adam finds out there's no helper comparable to me. He has a need now. And then God says, you have a need. I'm going to meet that need. So God will see your need before you do. Then he may make you aware of it, and then he's going to answer it. I've seen God work that way so many times. Amen? I know a lot of you guys have that testimony too. God began to work. You didn't know it. You began aware of it. You began to pray. You began to cry out. And God began to move and God began to do something. And so you get to Genesis 2, 21 through 24. It says the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, rubs his eyes, and he says, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. Whoa, man. Can you imagine going to sleep, waking up? All right. And we know at this point in time, I'm not going to go there. All right. I'm not going to go there. So I'm just putting some humor in. Is that okay? A little bit of humor. So he sees and he knows. and It's interesting. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Adam speaks and says, she shall be called woman. Catch that because we're going to see something at the end of my lesson. What did he call her? You're going to hear so many people. I've done it and I'll probably do it tonight. They say that Adam and Eve were in the garden. That's true. But what did he just call her? Woman. He had not gave her a name yet. Just think about that. We're going to bring that around. So he calls her woman because she was taken out of man, right? And then it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is something, this is controversial to say today. Maybe not so much where we live, but it's pretty clear to me that God made male and female. Okay? He made male and female. And this is where you see marriage. Marriage is not something that man invented. Therefore, it's not something man can dictate. Marriage is something God created. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's a covenant. Two shall become one flesh. Something spiritual, something deeper with marriage than what you get if it were man-made. Amen? Two shall be one flesh. And here's something I think. Now, I may be reading between the lines, but I think that's okay to do sometimes. So he, he put him to sleep, right? And he took a rib out of his side. Okay, I don't think it's too much to think that possibly there was a scar left on Adam's side. Because he realizes she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Something's missing from me that made her. See that? Okay. If I can get a real quick preaching moment. Let me tell you about somebody else that's got a scar on their side. Can you get with me? Let me tell you about somebody else that's got a scar on their side, that hung on a cross, and had his side pierced, and blood and water ran out. Because it cost Adam something to have a bride, it cost Christ something to have a bride, the church. And so when Adam saw that scar on his side, he remembered it cost me something, but it's worth it. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We're joined together. And when Eve, or woman, see, there I go again. When the woman saw it, what did she think? I'm joined to him. Same thing is true. When Christ sees that scar, it cost me something, but it was worth it to obtain my bride. When we see that scar, just like Doubting Thomas, what does it do for us? What does it do for us? We're bone of bone, flesh of flesh, joined to him. To be in Christ is to be connected to him. Amen? I love that. Genesis 2.25, you guys still good? I'm trying to get to the build up here. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. See, that's where I was going earlier, but it's already there. Naked and not ashamed. That that concept, we don't want to talk about these things in the church. I'm going to talk about it, though. The concept of being naked and unashamed is completely out of our realm of thinking. To be naked in front of somebody is immediately to feel shame for most people. They were able to stand in front of a perfect, holy God completely naked, and in front of each other. That tells me something. That tells me that there was a relationship and an intimacy that they had with their Creator and with each other. Perfect fellowship, perfect communion. This is the way that God intended it. So when you look at Genesis chapter 2, before you get into Genesis chapter 3, which we're about to look at, what God begins, He intends. The picture in Genesis chapter 2 is the plan and purpose of creation. You have God's people... In God's place, under God's rule and blessing. That is what God intends. For God's people to be in his place and under living under his rule and his blessing. That is the intention of God. I said God never gives up. God never gives up on his purposes, okay? And so we get to reading Genesis chapter 3, and things begin to spin off the rails. Remember, we're going to wrap this thing all the way around. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And if anybody wants to say something, you guys let me know. If not, I'm just going to keep on going. But if you feel like saying something, putting something in, feel free to raise your hands, okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. What do we see? The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what does he do? What, What does the serpent immediately do? He attacks The character of God. That's the enemy's number one ploy. He'll try to get you to think wrong about God. So he attacks the character of God. Is God really good? That's really what you hear in this question. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? All right, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said what? You shall not. You shall not eat it nor shall you touch it lest you die. The command was given to Adam. Remember? The woman wasn't even there yet. The command was given to Adam. So obviously Adam had done his job in some sense of passing that commandment to his wife. Now, some people will say Eve goes beyond, right? What does she say? She says, we can't even touch it. Was Adam being a good husband saying, look, you can't eat it. As a matter of fact, just don't even touch the thing. I don't know. It seems like a smart plan. You can't eat it. As a matter of fact, just don't even get near it. Here's the only thing about that. I'm not really sure, but I will say this. A lot of times we try to add on to the commandments of God. Even sometimes we feel like it's a good thing, but we're adding and going beyond. You have to be real careful about that. Does that make sense? God said you shall not eat it. Is it smart not to touch it? I would think so, but sometimes we we can begin to put extra commandments, kind of like the Pharisees did. They begin to add and add and add and add and eventually you get into a legalistic system that takes all of the joy out of it. So be real careful about going above or beyond the commandments of God even if you think sometimes it's for a good reason. And notice this. So we read 2 through 5. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But We just read that one. I'm going to skip verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the temptation of the serpent is for the woman to obtain knowledge to be like God. He's trying to get the woman to question the goodness of God. God's withholding something from you. Notice what he says. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Here's the only problem with that. Genesis 1:26 and 27 says God created male and female in the image of God. And in the likeness of God. You could say they're already like God. So he's trying to tempt them to go beyond the bounds that God has set. Do you see that? He's saying you'll be like God. Problem is they're already created in the image and the likeness of God. But Satan's temptation is for the woman to seek her will above God's will. Yes. I don't know. I wish I could tell you. Shane Parrish, what do you think? Look, he's sitting over there. I ain't talking. You know what? I, I, I go both ways on it. One, I can say why not. Two, what I'm going to say is more than likely this is symbolism. This is symbolism that you see and you're talking about this is where to get into the culture side of it. You're talking about a Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern culture that wrote this way to tell stories. And so a serpent would be a liar. And a lot of times associated with evil. So what are they gonna call Satan? A serpent. you have you know, it's always in scripture you always look for it's being said twice. Mm-hmm.
1: Symbolism or, yeah.
0: John. I was just going to say that Satan, the serpent, spoke to her just like he speaks to us today, our spirit, our mind. Yeah, right inside. And then in Revelation, you have Satan referred to as serpent or a dragon, you know, and so I, I think it's more of the symbolism. That's where I stand on it. You know, you could get into some of the, the Jewish interpretations of that. Um, Some people may say it. Well, I don't know. I mean, God used a donkey to talk to a guy, but I don't think Satan is going to empower. So I'm thinking it's symbolism and serpent is more in line with crafty, cunning, evil. But that's me, okay? This is not something to divide on, but that's a good question. And I probably just confused you more. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The man and the woman, and they are naked, mm-hmm. and Adam is naming animals, and then we have an animal that is speaking now. So, in my mind, the only way I can visualize it is that they were able to actually hear there's, what they But there's never an indication in Scripture that animals were created for communication. With yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, oh, there he goes <laughs> you know, that was, really long, that was just a rarity you know, God used a, to send a I, I believe 100% that it was Symbolism. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with it. Okay, so here's the thing, and, and you hit on this. This is exactly what you were talking about. The enemy's main tactic is, and I want you to catch this word, deception. The enemy's main tactic is deception. Okay? Satan is the father of lies. Um, this might be I don't know, I'll be ignorant But um all my life I've always thought the reason why sin entered the world was because of eating the apple. But I'm kinda of curious if I'm, as you're going through this, I'm curious. Um God created the tree of knowledge of good and evil. hmm So does that mean that evil already existed? Did God create Satan? Well hold on. Hold on. Yes, and God created Lucifer. We just didn't know evil. God created Lucifer as a beautiful archangel. Pride entered his heart. He wanted to be like God and he fell. Okay. So Satan was in heaven with God. Yes. Sin is not allowed in heaven. Got to be careful with that one. Hold on. No, 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 because you'll hear that. That's a good thing. But you're gonna, what are you going to do with wars in the heavenlies? It says that God cannot look upon sin. And I think that means he can't dwell upon it. He can't continuously just look upon it. But then you've got Job where it says that the sons of God, referring to the angels, came to present themselves before God and Satan came with them. So I think you're going to hear that a lot, that, that sin cannot be in heaven. I, I think when you get to the highest of heavens, where the Father is, no, there's not going to be any sin in that sense always present there. But you've got war in the heavenlies. You've got demonic... Uh, of fallen angels. So, I, is that helping a little bit? I don't think that, that God can't be in the presence of sin. He will not be in the presence of sin for all eternity. But yes, God can be in the presence of sin. Sin can be in the presence of God, but not forever. So, I know we're going to get there. Mm hmm. Yeah, true. Okay, are we good? Hey, that's all right. I I want questions because I don't just want to teach things and you guys be sitting out there wondering about a question. I may not be able to give you the best answer, but I did have a guy when I was teaching out at the other side that asked that question because he had said, well, how can this be happening if God can't be in the presence of sin? I said, well, let's look at all these other passages of scripture where Satan goes into the presence of God and these things, but we also have to look that one day all sin will be in that sense expelled from the presence of God. Okay, the enemy's main ta- tactic is deception. And so what does it mean to deceive? Well, the definition I got was this, to cause someone to believe something that is not true. That's exactly what you see the enemy doing. He's trying to get the woman to believe something that is not true. And it is normally for personal advantage, right? If somebody's deceiving you, generally they have something they're trying to gain out of it. They're trying to get you to think something uh, erroneously, and generally it's to their benefit, okay? Okay. It's not good. It's not good intention. So deception is the enemy's main tactic. And so you have Adam passing the command to the woman. Uh, She says, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not supposed to touch it. And then then the enemy, Satan, says, if you eat this, you'll be like God. There's something to be gained by eating this. So he's beginning to get her to question the goodness of God. Beginning to question, is God withholding something from you that will be a benefit to you? And so we get to Genesis 6, Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 8. So the when the woman saw now I want you to catch this with all that you have. The enemy has just planted something in her mind that has made her begin to question God. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and this right here and a desire and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then what happens? The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here's the thing. Deception changes your perception. Say it again. Deception changes your perception. When you begin to get deceived, when you get wrong thoughts, wrong things planted in your mind, you begin to see things differently. Before the enemy came along, she saw this tree and she remembered the command that she had been told by Adam. Don't eat it, don't touch it. The enemy comes along and begins to question the goodness of God. If you eat this tree, you'll actually get a benefit from it. And when that lie got planted and she began to let it grow, her actions changed because her eyesight changed. Now this tree that I'm not supposed to touch is actually something withholding a blessing from me. And so she got deceived. So deception leads to a change of perception. What was once sinful is now seen as good. And so as her uh, perception is changed, that leads to, guess what? Your actions are going to change. When a thought gets in that's not right and you begin to see things differently, guess what's the next thing to go? You're going to begin to move. You're going to begin to pursue that. So as your thinking is corrupted and your sight is corrupted, well, then your movement, you begin to do things that are sinful. And that's the pattern we see. And what do they do? They realize immediately we're naked. Remember, we talked about that. They were naked just a minute ago and everybody was okay. Now they're naked and everybody's freaking out. What did they do? This is really important. Title of my lesson, From Fig Leaves to Faith. So these fig leaves are very important. They get these fig leaves and they're trying to cover up their nakedness. You know what that is? That is the first attempt in all of creation for self-righteousness. For man-made, I'm going to fix the problem of sin. A works-based righteousness. There is sin. I feel it. I got enough in me to figure out how to fix it. And so they sow fig leaves to cover up this sin, to cover up the shame that they now feel. And then what do they do? They hide. They hide. Verse 8. They hurt. And listen to this. This, is, this starts to really grip my heart. Because it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Something they had heard every day. Something they longed for. Something they enjoyed. Something that when they heard it, they ran to Him. Now they hear it, and what do they do? They hide. It says, they hid themselves from the presence of God. They used the trees that God created. That He gave them to be a blessing now becomes something to hide them from His presence. And what does God do? Called out to Adam. Where are you? Listen, God knew exactly where he was. Don't get the idea that Adam was able to hide from God. But if you've ever played hide and seek with a child, I know where my son is every single time. I know it. I know right where he is. Because when I come in the room, there's a... You know, he's laughing. I know right where he's at. But I'll say, Deacon, where are you? Right? Right? I'm calling out to him because there's something in his responding to me that shows that relationship. So God calls out to Adam because he wants that response. What's he going to do? I'm calling out to him. Is he going to respond to me? So he said, I heard your voice. So Adam does respond. But listen to the response. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Totally different than before. In the presence of God, no shame, perfect fellowship and communion. Because of sin, broken. Who ran from who? You've got to see that. Who ran from who and who went looking? People will say, I found Jesus. And you know what I say? Praise God. I celebrate. I don't become a theologian in that moment. But you didn't find him, he found you. He wasn't lost, you were. He's the one who seeks, he's the one who calls, but do we respond? You gotta see something about the character of God. He's the one that even when sin broke everything, and all we would do is turn our back and run away from him and find anything that we could to hide ourselves from him, he went to the extent of going to find us. That is the kind of God that we Have good, faithful, nothing you can get behind where he can't move it. What's the song? Reckless love. There's no, Shane, help me here. There's no something, there's no mountain too high. No wall he won't kick down, no lie he won't tear down. Coming after you and coming after me. That's the way the love of God is. You see that right there in the garden. And so sin is ultimately rebellion and rejection of God I want you to hear this, too. I was listening to a guy today. I love the way that God lines things up because I don't listen to a lot of sermons, but I decided to today. Heard this, wrote it down because see, this is a lot, man, because of sin, all this brokenness, right? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, there's so much brokenness. And we could say, well, it was just they just ate a piece of fruit. God, chill out. Right. But it was deeper than that. That was just the action showing the intention of the heart. They had already set it up in their heart that their will was going to be exalted above God's. The eating of the fruit was just the icing on the cake, if you want to put it that way. But he said this. The greatest injustice in the universe is to live in a world where there is blessing and life and for God to go unrecognized or be rejected. I'll read that again. Greatest injustice in all of the universe is to live in a world... Where there is blessing and life and for God who gives blessing and who gives life and sustains life to go either unrecognized or be rejected. That's the greatest injustice of all. That's the root of sin. Anytime we sin, we are exalting our will over God's. We are either saying, I don't want to recognize you or I want to reject you. That's the greatest injustice of all. That's exactly what Adam and the woman did. And it's exactly what happens to this day. Something that we have a tendency, even as believers, to still do. Thank God for repentance. Right? Because I still find myself. He said, don't do it, but I'm going to do it. He said, don't touch it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to touch it. Right? We still have these tendencies within us because of the flesh to do this. But praise God for the blood of Jesus. And so they were in the garden of God, chose not to recognize him and his goodness, but instead they exalted their self over God In the eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They rebelled against God's commandment, rejected him and his rule. And here's the thing. Did they need to know? Did they need to obtain that knowledge? What good did it do? You see, it was something that God was keeping them from. And you can question why did God even allow it? But God gives us freedom. God gives us choice. We're not robots. God gives us the freedom of choice. But he is sovereign. I'll never put man's freedom over God's sovereignty. But I don't want to diminish man's freedom so much that we become robots. And so God allowed this choice because in free choice there is true love. Okay? And think about this. We're talking about uh, the greatest injustice in all of the universe is to live where there's blessing and life and abundance and to... Reject God. You ever walked through the produce aisle? You're never going to look at fruit the same. You walk, listen, you go to harps across the road, you go to Walmart, there is fruit and produce overflowing. How many times have you walked through that aisle and said, Praise God, praise God? I don't. I don't really think, Get me to the chocolates and the meat, get me out of this place. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. How often is God blamed for natural disasters? How often is God blamed for the things of sin and the effects of sin? But how little is he praised for the life that he gives and the life that he sustains? Even when you walk through Harps, even when you walk through Walmart, it's because God gives life and God sustains life that you even have fruit in front of you to eat. Abundantly. And it's almost like in the abundance of things is where the problem becomes. You ever thought about that? It's almost like when it's abundantly all around us and the blessing is flowing is when we have the most tendency to unrecognize or reject the one who's given it all to us. It's just something to think about because it's right there in the middle of the garden where they have every tree that they rejected. I just find that fascinating. I think I have to go to Harps after this. I'm not walking through the produce aisle. not going through the produce aisle. I'll thank God for chocolate. Praise the Lord. Okay, you guys still with me? All right, just a few more minutes. All right, we're going to wrap this up. The effects of sin were two things, cosmic and catastrophic. They were cosmic. It was on a cosmic scale. Catastrophic that it began, everything began to fracture. Because when the one who gives and sustains life and that relationship is broken, did they fall over dead in that moment? No. But there was spiritual death, separation from God. We see that in the way that they hid from him. And physical death, yes, because it was at that moment that they did begin that process of dying or decaying. So everything that is wrong, and I want you to catch this because we're talking about the garden, but we're talking about the gospel in the garden. Everything that is wrong in our world stems from this moment. Think about the magnitude of that. Everything that is wrong in our world stems from this moment, from this particular sin of Adam and the woman. And our inclination towards sin finds its origin here. For all that are born in Adam... Are born with a sinful nature. Think about children. Again, I'm gonna use my kids a lot. I do not have to teach my kids to keep things for themselves. What do I have to teach them constantly? Share it. Don't hit your brother in the head with that, right? I think Shane said it. You lock some toddlers in a room for a little while with a cupcake in the middle, somebody's not coming out. They're vicious. I love them, they're adorable. But I've said it time and time again. If you want to see that sin is a real thing, look at children, all right? They will beat each other down for some little toys. Jeff, what you got, brother? Uh, right? Yes. You better you know, like, well, no he he go. I'll, I'll tell you where I can go on this. Um, and you're going to have to look this up. I don't know what would have happened if Adam would have rebuked her because he was the one given the command. And so he was the head. And like the Bible says that Jesus was the second Adam, he was the head. And so I don't know. I don't know. I've wondered that because Adam's given the commandment, Eve eats. Did Adam have responsibility in that moment because he was the head? Did he have responsibility in that moment to rebuke and what would have happened? I, I don't know. Anybody ever? Walt? I think you have to look at it God gave a command and and you have to, God omniscient. God knew the beginning. Mm-hmm. the beginning. So God knew that Adam was not going to keep this command. Yep. And so he already knew everything was going to happen before it happened. Mm hmm. Yes. Okay, so was the one that got She messed it all up, yep. No, <laughs> my wife is sitting right over there. That was a joke, ladies. All right. Yeah. So, who wrote, who's the author? Moses. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. So on on that note, that the woman was um, talked to. It it says, you know, she was talked to, but it doesn't have any record of him being talked to. And I just think, on down through the ages, up until this point, that um, you know, the woman has had a bad rap because of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm trying to put the blame on Adam here, guys. Did he have a did he have a responsibility here? Where was Adam? you got a snake talking to your wife? what are you doing <laughs> Where are you <laughs> yeah he's yeah he's running from the snake I know I am too mm-hmm Hmm. Yes. And and I think you know if if sin enters at that point and we're describing it as the woman who gave to the man, then even still, even if it is a sin in the world, women are um, yes. Yeah yeah. 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 Very. There's actually a lot. Of, there's theological debate on the location of Adam at the time. That yeah. He did. Right there. And <clears throat> yeah, she didn't have to go far to give it to him. Yeah. Here's the thing, too. When you read. Yeah. And when you read, when you read Paul's account, he says sin entered through one man. But he also says that Eve was deceived. So there's that dual function where she was deceived. But then he heeded the voice of his wife instead of the voice of God. He had a mandate. Yeah. That he, that he, uh, uh, mm-hmm. in that for the voice of his wife. No one was clearly the woman's <laughs> voice. <laughs> the truth, the truth you know, is there is there's a um, there's a huge responsibility that God put on man to be the head of the household. Yes. The yep. Yep. Kimberly? it's the woman you gave me, Lord. It's the woman, yeah, we're about to get to that. I think he's particularly talking about Adam because, in that same context, he'll refer to Jesus as the last Adam. Is that, so I think he's talking particularly about Adam. But you see the role of both, and that's a good point to bring because they were supposed to operate as one. And you see that already beginning to fragment there. Did you have. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Mhm. Absolutely. I agree with that. That's the way I see that that playing out right there. I mean, he was meant to wait to see if she was really going to die. die. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> you eat it first. <laughs> that was free. That was free. All right. Dwayne, you might you might want to hey, you might want to slip. I got 10 more minutes. You might want to go ahead and slip out. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna warp speed through the last of this because I gotta get here. Hold on, I got Andrew in the back. This and then let me go on after this one. Okay, I'll I'll stay all night and talk if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let me roll through this last part right here because this is super important stuff. I told you guys I was giving to give you all this i still got two more pages. That's all right. Here we go. Okay, so you have this fall, okay? So I'm going to give you guys the spark notes version of what I've got left. You have this fall, so you have the serpent, you have the woman, and you have Adam standing there, okay? And God begins to speak uh, the judgments because of sin, right? Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, he starts with the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust. Again, is that symbolic of the lowliness? That's for a later day. All these days of your life. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you, talking to Satan, and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. My Bible, that's a capital S. We're going to talk about that. The seed of woman then begins to get referred to as he. He shall bruise your head, bruise the head of the serpent, and you... Serpent shall bruise his heel. Okay? Then you get to the woman. God turns to the woman. He says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I want to just talk about that for just a minute. Here's the thing. Adam was given headship or leadership, right? But it was supposed to be self-sacrificial love, like you read about in Ephesians chapter 5. Right, That kind of love, that kind of leadership, not a domineering or a dominating and putting her down. It was supposed to be a loving type of leadership, and the woman was supposed to submit to that. We don't like that word, but when you submit to a godly man or godly leadership, it's a good thing. Amen? Okay? Now, because of sin, you have this flip. Basically, what he's saying is that the woman is going to desire to uh, usurp the authority of the man right she's going to seek that place and then the man is not going to have that loving leadership he shall rule over you now there's going to be this contention between man and woman that wasn't destined or wasn't designed to be there but because of sin you're going to see this then he turns to Adam he says to Adam because you and here we go because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. When God set Adam in the garden, he was supposed to tend it, cultivate it. It would do its thing in bringing forth fruit. All he had to do was to eat it, enjoy it, cultivate it. Now, tending because of sin has turned into toiling. But the command is still there to work. You still have to work, but in your working, now you're going to have to combat thorns and thistles. You see the effects of sin, but the command to work is still there. I think it's really important to see that. It matters to God what we do. God created us to work or to serve Him, to tend the garden that we have. Now we're going to have to toil, but we still have to work. We're going to have to uh, combat thorns and thistles and the things and the difficulties of sin, but that is still a part of what we are to do. Amen? There's something healthy about getting something by the sweat of your brow. You just know it. When you work, when you do something, whatever it is, I don't care who you are, what you do, but when you do something and then you see the product of it, there's something in you that knows that that was right. Something about that was right. See, God created us to experience that minus the toiling. But because of sin, now we have to deal with the toiling part of it. Okay? Here's what I want you to see, though. God speaks all of this in the presence of the serpent, the woman, and Adam. Genesis 3.15 is one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. Fancy word. proto evangelion. What's that mean? What's a prototype? It's the first one. Proto means first. Evangelion means good news. Gospel. This is the first proclamation of the good news that God is going to fix all things that are right. And it's found in Genesis 3.15. When he looks at the serpent and says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between you Your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who do you think that's referring to? Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. And the Bible says that when he died on that cross, that he wiped out the record of debt and he triumphed over the principalities and powers of hell at the cross. Guess what? His heels were bruised at the cross, but he triumphed over the enemy. This is the first proclamation of the gospel, the good news, that even though we've sinned, And everything has been broken because of us and our actions. God's going to make it right. Salvation comes through God, not through us. But He uses people to bring about His Son. And here's the thing I want you to see look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. I'm going to teach you a principle. You have God speaking in the presence of the serpent. You have God speaking in the presence of Adam. And you have God speaking in the presence of woman. There's a reason I've referred to her as woman. You don't have any record of her being called Eve till right now. Now maybe I'm just taking a long shot here, but I found some really smart people that back this up too, so we're going to go in it together. Adam called his wife's name Eve. This is when you first hear of Adam calling her Eve. He called her woman when he first saw her. Now he calls her Eve. The name Eve means mother of all living. Here's what I see taking place. You have a hopeless situation. You have brokenness. You have sin. You have deception. You have all these things that are taking place. But in the judgments of God, there's a promise. From woman is going to come one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Adam knows what that means. He's going to destroy his works. The friction, the brokenness that this serpent has caused, someone is going to come from woman that's going to fix it all. And I believe he heard that promise. And if deception can change your perception, then so can the promises of God. if a lie from the enemy can change the way you see situations and the way that you think, then the Word of God can do the same. If the lies of the enemy can begin to make you think incorrectly and sinfully, the Word of God and the promises of God can begin to make you see rightly and godly. And I really think that Adam heard this. And he realized, they hadn't had any children yet. Now he was told to be fruitful and multiply. But now you've got sin, you've got brokenness. But here's a promise from God that from woman is going to come one that's going to fix everything. And I think that he gave her a name based on the promise that he heard. He said, there's going to come one from her. She's going to be the mother of all living. And so he spoke. So he heard the promise and he declared it. He spoke over his wife and he said, no longer am I going to just call you woman. I'm going to call you Eve. Because from you is going to come one that's going to fix everything. Everything. And so the promise of God that Adam heard changed the way that he saw his wife and it changed the way that he spoke. you got to realize, you got to know the promises. You have to know the promises of God because when you begin to know the promises of God, then you can look at situations and circumstances that may seem hopeless, that may seem like there is no way that it could ever be fixed, But if you know the promises and you speak the promises, things begin to change. The power of God is released when we hear the promises, speak the promises. You can't just go out and start saying this, this, this in Jesus' name and think that's going to happen. There's power in the name of Jesus. But the right way that life and death is in the power of the tongue is when your tongue speaks the word of God. When what you begin to speak aligns with the promises, aligns with the Word of God, that's when power is released. Amen? And it begins to change the way you think. It begins to change the way that you speak. It begins to change the way that you have relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, relationship with the people all the way around you. So you need to know the promises. When you're reading the Bible and you come across a promise, write it down. Because there's going to be a time when you're going to need to speak it. And you're going to need to speak it by faith. And the more of them you know, the better you are. It's like putting ammunition in your weapon. You need to know the promises. Okay? If you leave here tonight, say, he told me I need to know the promises. Power of life and death is in the tongue. Our tongue needs to be trained to speak the word of God. You hide the word in your heart, and whatever's in your heart will come out of your mouth. You get as much of the word as you can get in your heart, and it will come out of your mouth. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Here's the thing if God lets a fallen man eat from the tree of life, he is not able to redeem him. That's a gracious thing that God drove him away from the tree of life. Because if you have a sinful fallen man eat from the tree of life, he is sinfully, or he is eternally in a sinful condition. So even God's driving him out is a gracious thing because God is going to restore it and bring it back. And I got to scrap some notes, but that's okay because I've got you past eight o'clock. But I'm going to finish if you guys will give me like two minutes. Here's what I'm going to say to you: You read Revelation 21 and 22 tonight, and you're going to read about a new Jerusalem. Guess what's in that new Jerusalem? God and God's people. And there's a tree of life, and there's a river flowing from the throne of God, giving life to all things. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil because sin has been completely wiped out. The only knowledge that will be left in the new creation is a knowledge of the goodness of God and the glory of God. That all came to you and me by way of Jesus Christ. Here's what I put. I'm going to end with this. 22, 21 and 22. Jesus came born of a virgin, fulfilling Genesis 3.15. He overcame the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. Adam and Eve had to do it in a garden. Jesus did it in the wilderness. It is written, it is written, it is written. He stuck to the Word of God. He hung on a cross, naked, bearing our shame. You know those pictures with a little loincloth on? You throw that out because that was the most humiliating and shameful death you could ever die. He died on that cross with nothing. Shameful. Bearing our shame that you and I could be clothed in his righteousness. Took my shame that I could have his righteousness. He died bloody. I didn't get to the part where an animal was sacrificed and Adam and Eve were covered with that animal. You don't get the skin of an animal unless you shed blood. In the garden, God said there's going to have to be death. There's going to have to be shedding of blood for everything to be made right. Jesus hung on that cross, the Lamb of God, bloody, sacrificed to take away our sins by His precious blood. He died with a crown of thorns on His head that you and I can live a fruitful life. He took the curse of sin, thorns and thistles. And he said, you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. With His heels bruised, nails driven through His feet, showing that he fulfilled Genesis 3:15 his heels were bruised but the serpent's head was crushed he died on a tree sin entered through the actions that took place around a tree god brings salvation through a tree the cross of Calvary he became a curse for us that we might obtain the blessings of god we live in the in between though you're going to read Revelation 21 and 22 tonight of the future that we have you're going to read about the cross of Calvary we stand right in the in between Right in the in-between. Because of the love of God, here's three things you can go on this. Because of the love of God, your past is pardoned because of the blood of Jesus. Pardoned in right relationship with Him. Because of the love of God, your past is pardoned. Your present is empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And your future is promised. It's secure. We live in that in between, but I can look back to what took place in a garden. I can look forward to the end of the book in Revelation, and I can see what's going to take place. I can know I'm in the in between, but if I hide the word of God in my heart and I begin to speak those promises, things begin to change. And the faithfulness of God is seen. Amen? Father, bless these people, your people. That's what we said tonight, Lord. Save your people. Bless your inheritance. Let the goodness and the faithfulness of God be seen, be experienced. Let us hide the word in our heart. Let us look to the garden, uh, look to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, never the same again. Because we see that you began something, and you intend to finish it, and you will. And we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you that none of your plans, none of your purposes can ever be stopped. Not sin, not death, not man, not Satan, nothing can separate us from your love. So bless these, your people, as we go out throughout the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Sorry I got you over just a little bit.